book of Romans, and we are looking at Romans 5, 12 through 21 on page 4 of your bulletin, and we will be focusing more on uh, 12 through 18 in this sermon. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for indeed sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned throughout that one man, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if anyone has contracted Olympic fever in this uh, congregation or not, but I have. Uh, I confess that throughout yesterday, the uh, TV was on as I watched all manner of sports. Anyone catch curling last night, by the way? What a boring congregation. Yes, Richard. Yes, the Swiss know. The Swiss know. I love the Olympics. I just do. There's something about it, the, the stories, the pageantry, uh, the speed of the whole thing, uh, it's just fantastic to watch. Um, I don't know if anyone watched the opening ceremonies, uh, but that's a really cool time where the country showcases their culture and their beauty. It's in South Korea, by the way. Uh, and, uh, and then each of the nations come out in their own particular garb. And uh, the U.S. came out, and they were wearing these sort of cowboy-type gloves, and, uh, and, of course, who can forget the nation of Tonga, right? Uh, that, that guy who's not wearing a shirt, uh, who, who looks straight off the magazine cover of GQ, and he's wearing the grass skirt. I confess I was on eBay looking for grass skirts uh, after this uh, to see maybe I could look like the guy from Tonga. Um, it's interesting. Each country has their own flag bearer, and the flag bearer walks before the nation, and they are usually voted on by the people, and they are supposed to epitomize uh, the, the, the values of the Olympic spirit and of that particular country. And, uh, and so each country comes out. And uh, it's interesting how, as a people, as humanity, we have organized ourselves, right? We organize selves, ourselves into different nations, and in those nations, different groups. And those groups have particular leaders. And this scripture is telling us 
that humanity is ultimately divided into only two groups. Not into a variety of different nations, but only two groups in humanity. And these two groups have two different flag bearers, if you will. But more than flag bearers, they are the leader from which the entire group issues. They are the foundation, if you will, of that particular humanity. And these two leaders, these two groups of humanity are summed up as those who are in Adam and those who are in the second Adam. The, that being Jesus Christ, who is known as the second Adam. Two humanities, two lines, two authors. We all belong to them, whether we recognize or realize it or not. And regardless of whatever happens in your life, whatever group you're a part of, whatever successes or failures you're experiencing, ultimately, your life comes down to one simple question. Of which group are you a part? Because one group's destiny, those who are in Adam's, their destiny is death. And those who are in Christ, their final and ultimate destiny, destiny is life. And so we need to examine this question. We need to examine the origins. You know, the thing I love about Christianity, why I follow Jesus, is that Christianity is what makes the most sense to explain humanity. Whatever philosophy or belief that you believe in, you need to hold it up to the world. And does it explain and show the world as it is? Christianity, in my opinion, does the best job of doing that of any religion or philosophy. So let's examine these two lines. Firstly, we're going to examine our origin, the origin of Adam and the line of Adam. And then we're going to examine the line of Christ. And then we're going to talk about what it means to live out of that line, whichever line that you're choosing to live in. Well, let's look at the line of Adam. If you'll remember, Paul has been talking about the fact that in Christ we have received <coughs> reconciliation, that we were enemies of God. Now he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to the church at Rome. And he's explaining that they have been saved. But now Paul goes into an explanation of how they were saved. What is the mechanism by which Christ has saved people? And he starts off by talking about the fall of humanity. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. Okay, Paul is explaining the origin and the entrance of sin into the world. Don't really get much of a fight when I talk to people about the concept of sin or original sin because people intuitively understand. Nobody ever says I'm going to heaven because I'm perfect. Rather, they say I'm going to heaven because I'm good enough. Right? Because they realize that they sin. And sin came into the world at a specific point in history through one man. It's interesting that they say through one man and not through one woman. Right? Wasn't it Eve who took the apple first and listened to the evil one and then gave it to Adam? Why is it that Adam is always blamed? And it's clearly put on him. Not that Eve was innocent, but rather that Adam is 
the root of where the sin entered into the world. And the reason is this. Before the command was even given, when the command was given to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good, uh, uh, to not eat from the tree in the garden, uh, the apple, uh, not the apple, the fruit, from the tree, hello, wake up. Adam only, Adam only existed in the world. Eve came afterwards. So Adam was in a position of leadership. In our world, leadership means power. But in the Bible, and the correct understanding of leadership, leadership is responsibility. I'm responsible. See, the, the reason that Adam is blamed is because, A, we know Adam was there, and as Satan is communicating to Eve, spreading these lies, Adam is utterly passive. He's not saying anything. He's not leading. He's not owning. He's not encouraging. He's not standing with his wife. He failed in his leadership. He failed in his headship. He's responsible. And the entire humanity under Adam failed as well, right? Because death came through sin. Sin brought death. And what is death? Well, we understand the physical manifestation of dying, but the physical manifestation is simply symptomatic of the spiritual reality. Death is separation from God. It's no longer meeting the criteria for immortality. No longer being pleasing to God. Losing the spirit of life that was given to man. And so it continues on. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. All sinned. It, it's like this cancer that flows out. It's a living entity in a way. Death came to all men, spread to all men, because all sin. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, in our bulletin, in fact, just about every text that I've read, the translation, there's a dash. Do you see a dash there? Why is there a dash there? And the reason is because Paul, realizing what he's written, wants to make sure that he makes it very clear what he said. And so he diverges onto a tangent very quick. Frankly, the next thing should say, so also. Thank you, son. It should go, you know, and so on and so on, because all sin, and the proper next words should be, so also, as he continues on. But no, he stops. Because he wants people to understand what he's talking about when death spread to all, because all sin. So you could interpret that in two different ways. The first would be, because we each individually sinned ourselves. We each made the decision, and so we're like Adam, but we're not in Adam. In other words, his, we are like him, but we're not in him. We don't have a connection with him any more than he was simply an example that did the same thing that we chose to do as well. The alternative is this, that we all sinned and died in Adam. That it was his sin that brought condemnation to all of us who would come after him. His unrighteousness was imputed to us. See, this is why this is extremely important. Now, the Bible clearly says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We get that. We all have sinned. But you see, if 
Adam is no more than an example. If we all choose our own decision, our own path, so to speak, our own bent, then all Jesus can be to us is simply a good example. Right? Just like Adam was a bad example. Jesus can't impute righteousness to us because there's no way to be in Christ because we were not in Adam. Are you seeing what Paul is doing here? And how do we know which Paul is talking about? Because he's very clear that we all sinned and died in Adam, that his unrighteousness was imputed in us. Notice how he does this in verse 13 as he does, goes on this tangent. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. He's talking about the law of Moses. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying that sin is in the world. So there's Adam. And then X number of years later, there's Moses. When the law is given. And so Adam had a law, if you will, right? He had instructions to either follow or break. Moses was given the Ten Commandments and all the things that came after. Well, what about in between those two periods where there was no official law. The Bible clearly says that death reigned from Adam to Moses. So we need to understand when it says sin is not counted, it's not talking about that we were not accountable for sin, just counted in a different way. What's he talking about here? Well, I'll give you a good example. Everyone from that time to Adam and Eve died. And the reason they did I hate the new printers, by the way. They go up forward and backward, okay? I need one page, okay? Let me get my top tech people on that. All right, where was I? Okay, the point is, if you took a baby in between the time of Adam and Moses, a baby who dies in its infancy doesn't have the capacity to choose to obey or not obey, to do right or wrong and yet they were born, and yet they died. If death comes from sin, why did that child die? Well, the reason was because they were in Adam. They were in a line, a line that we all were born into, whether we like it or not. Now, you may be asking me the question, are you saying, Carlos, that babies go to hell? The Bible doesn't really speak to that issue. But I'll tell you what the Bible does say. If a baby goes to heaven, it's not because they were righteous. See, as soon as a baby begins to get old enough to display sin, they do, don't they? Children are just little sinners waiting to flower. <laughs> a child wants a toy, they take the toy. And if the other kid tries to take the toy, they hit the kid on the head with the toy. They have to be taught to behave, to do good. There's a, there's a sickness inside of us. We all die. Sorry about that. We all die because we are in Adam. Notice how Paul concludes in verse 18. Therefore, one trespass led to condemnation for all. As by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So we are all spiritually connected to Adam. 
This should not come as a surprise to any of us. I don't know, actually I have, Will, could you bring that other document right there? Shouldn't come as a surprise to us. The new studies in genetics have shown that we are physically connected to Adam. I was doing some research here, there are a couple of articles from the journal Science, as well as the Journal of Human Genetics, what I read in my spare time, <laughs> along with the comic books. And both of them, you know, as, as they've sequenced the human genome and they become more and more adept at understanding, they've been able to, uh, through the mitochondrion of, uh, I think it's the woman in the chromosome of the man, I might have them wrong, please forgive me, they've been able to track back the reality that we all are descended from one person or one very, very small group of people. Now, atheists would say, well, that's just the bottleneck. There were a bunch of other people that died off, and that's just the one person. But the reality and the truth of the matter is this. We all come physically from one set of ancestors, one person, one man, one woman. We're physically de descended. We are also spiritually descended. We're tied to Adam, whether we like it or not. And the result of Adam's transgression was the many died in verse 15. The result of his transgression was condemnation, verse 16. The verse 17, death reigned. Verse 18, condemnation again. Verse 19, we're all sinners. I don't know if you've read the book, Lord of the Flies. Uh, my son recently read that. The Lord of the Flies is one of my favorite books. Not because I actually read all of it, but it was one of the sources of my greatest triumph and how I exempted out of freshman English at the University of Virginia. <laughs> Though I'd only read half of the book, luckily the question on my international baccalaureate essay gave me enough wiggle room where I was able to put together a scintillating piece of fiction nonfiction that they bought and gave me credit. So I love Lord of the Flies. <laughs> It's a story in, uh, about a group of British boys during World War II, and they're flying on an airplane, and they crash onto a, a deserted island in the Pacific Ocean, and there's two kind of groups of students. These are uh, pre-adolescent boys. There's one group that don't really know each other, and then there was a boys' choir who was on the plane. And some kids start to take leadership. Uh, Ralph and another guy who's nicknamed Piggy, he's kind of overweight, and they summon the group. And they get everyone together, and they exhibit leadership traits, and the people vote for uh, Ralph to be the leader. But the choir boys, sort of as a block, don't vote for him. They have an unofficial leader, and his name is Jack. And in the beginning, they're just a bunch of scared kids, right? And Ralph tries to take leadership, and they have three rules. To have fun, to survive, and to constantly maintain a smoke signal to, uh, you know, alert ships. But as they continue to live and try to survive on this island, a majority of the boys grow idle. They start to develop paranoias about the island, that there's a beast on the island. And these groups form, the group of Jack, who's the leader of the choir boys, and they begin to worship the beast and sacrifice it. And these groups start to... Uh, attack one another, try to draw out the other. Um, Jack's crew, one of the boys from it, kills the boy Piggy. And one of the kids, there's a very telling story where a boy is dialoguing with this pig's head who is supposed to represent the beast, and the beast 
speaks to the boy. And he mocks this boy's notion that the beast is a real entity, something you could hunt and kill. And he reveals the truth, that the boys are the beast, and the beast is inside them all. In the final part of the book, only Ralph is left on one side. All the other kids are trying to hunt him down and kill him, and they set fire to the island. And as Ralph is cowering in the corner waiting for his death, a soldier appears. They saw the fire on the island, and he comes. And all of the boys with an adult revert back to their childhood stage and sob at what they've done. And the soldier chides them and expresses disappointment at seeing them exhibiting such warlike behavior before he turns to stare awkwardly at his own warship. See, the truth of the matter is the beast is inside us all. From the beginning, right? Remember Cain, Abel, and so on, and death, spreading and spreading? There are only two lines of humanity from two people, Adam and Christ. And all of us were born in Adam. Now you may protest and say, Carlos, that's not me. Don't pin that on me. I'm my own individual person. The reality is we're so selective, aren't we? We want to inherit the good, but we disdain the bad. Who among us would not take the inheritance given by our father or our mother? We didn't work for it. It's not ours. But we claim it as ours, don't we? The saying is true that victory has many fathers and failure is an orphan. But we have to look at our lives. What Adam and Eve did in that garden was to ungod God. Have you ungodded God? Or is He the one and only true God in your life and has always been? Well, if you say, that's not me, maybe you'll say instead, well, that's not fair. It's not fair that I, this sin was imputed to me. And my response is very simple. Okay, follow God. Honor Him. Nobody's putting a gun to your head and saying, don't love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Follow His commandments without wavering, without ceasing. Show who you are. For we show who we are by how we live, right? How far would we make it? Before God would be the furthest thing from our mind. See, we sin because we're sinners. The beast is inside of us. We have to recognize and realize and own who we are before we can hope for another. Because unless we own who we are, the gospel, the righteousness who is brought by the second Adam, means nothing. Well, let's move on to the second line, the second Adam. See, why Paul is doing all of this is showing us Adam and the results of being in Adam so he can show us Christ. In verse 15 through 17, Paul shows how Christ is not like Adam through comparison and contrast. He shows it in three different ways in each of these verses. The first in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one's trespass, much more, 
have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Okay, first of all, the, what Christ brings, his offspring, if you will, what he gives to his people is a gift. And it's a gift of righteousness, not the gift of depravity and sin. See, Adam's, what he gave to us was not a gift. He wasn't even thinking of us. It was a self-centered sin that moved through. But what Jesus gave for us, why he lived the life that he lived and died the death he did, was specifically for us. See, that's why it's called a gift. And notice that it's a free gift. It's a gift that he paid for with his life so that it could be given to us freely, who choose to surrender and submit to his line. I love these words, much more. Why is it much more? Because in what Christ has done, it really demonstrates and displays the ultimate purpose of humanity and life. That God's ultimate aim was to display the preeminence and glory of his grace over the judgment of sin. See, before redemption, we might have known God as creator. We might have known his power. But until redemption, we never could have understood his love. We never could have understood his heart. How much more in this gift do we see the reality of who God is? Well, in verse 16, we see another comparison and contrast. That the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now notice the difference. For the judgment following one trespass, meaning the sin of Adam, brings condemnation. That makes perfect sense. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Okay, that's an abnormality. <laughs> Many trespasses should not bring justification. Many trespasses should bring even more condemnation, shouldn't it? And what are these many trespasses he's talking about? Well, he could be talking about the many trespasses that we have done. The ways in which we trespass against God's commands. All of those, the millions and billions of breaking of the laws of God. And yet Jesus living his life of perfect obedience, we see all of the trespasses against him as he was brought before this kangaroo court, as he was sentenced to die for a crime he didn't commit. Jesus' life of perfect obedience followed the many trespasses and brought not condemnation, but rather justification. It doesn't make sense. It's radically different from the sin of Adam. The gift of Adam. And then finally in verse 3. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. So in Adam, Adam sinned and death reigned. Makes perfect sense. But the free gift of God given to us through Jesus Christ, 
rather shows that we will not receive death. The normal thing that should be is that life should reign, right? Death reigns in sin, life reigns in righteousness, but it doesn't say that, does it? It says that we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So we are brought from becoming sinners to those who receive His grace and become kings and queens in the age to come. Could there be a greater spread? Do you see how grace is so much greater and so much broader and wider than what Adam gave us in sin? I remember when we went to pick up our daughter Maria, who was such a Swede, and we went to Nicaragua, and she was in an orphanage there. And the police had found Maria when she was just a little one. She had no name. Actually, it was Maria Darce Ernestina del Mercado, which means Maria from the market, because that's where she was found. And when we found Maria, we knew that she was ours. And so we set our affection and love on her and began the process to adopt her, to bring her to our family. You can still remember bringing her home, getting her out of that country, receiving the paperwork. Maria Rodriguez is her name. She has a name. In Nicaragua, she had no future. She would be led out of that orphanage at age 18. And Nicaragua was a cruel place for a young woman. But now she has a destiny because she's in a new life, a new family, a new hope, a new certainty. I tell her just like I tell all my other kids, why do I love you so much? Because you're mine. Because she's mine from one line to another, from death to life, from poverty to riches. If you are a Christian, if you have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you belong to a new family line, not the line of Adam, but Christ. You have a new hero, one who accomplished what you could not one who came for you, one who found you, one who has decided to shower upon you the riches of his grace and his blessing. And so I communicate to you, receive his destiny, receive his forgiveness. It doesn't matter the number of transgressions in your life. Jesus Christ's grace will always be greater than your sin. Because Christ is greater than Adam. If you're not a Christian, if you're living under the line of Adam, I'm inviting you to a new line, a new destiny, a new future, a new inheritance. This is the good news of the free gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's for anyone who would call on his name, maybe even you today. So that brings me to, so what? What are we supposed to do with this? Have you made your decision that you live in Christ? 
then live out of your family line. Your identity is now Jesus Christ. It's not your flesh. It's not your accomplishments. It's not your identity. You no longer have to wake up every day working desperately to make a name for yourself, trying to escape at your heart of hearts who you know you are, a failure by God's standard. Because you're not anymore. You're a king and a queen and a son and a daughter. But you must look to Christ. You must look to your head of your family, fixing your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. Satan's definition of hypocrisy is acting different than you feel. But God's definition of hypocrisy is acting different than you are. So examine your life. Are you living in his line? Because if you are living in his line, you can draw on his resources. The first is his power. Jesus said in this world you will have much trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The scriptures tell us that the mind controlled by the Spirit of God is life and peace. And if by the Spirit of God we put to death, we can put to death the misdeeds of the body, we can live. We have a new way of living. Not in our own strength and power, but rather in the head of our line, Jesus Christ, who gives us the strength to walk through anything. Right? Isn't that what David said? Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you're with me. And your staff and your rod, they comfort me. He has a plan for your life, for good and not for bad, even in the midst of the shadow of death. He has a new inheritance. Your inheritance is already for you in Christ. Are you spending all your life trying to build castles of sand? Or each and every day, in your work and in your relationships, are you living for the glory of God? Knowing that you've already been bought, that you've already had an inheritance. You can live in His power. You can live in His inheritance. You can live in His security. By faith, Christ has demonstrated in His cross and in his resurrection, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The conclusion is simply this. Jesus has given us a new identity and a new destiny through our identification with him. So live out of who you are, not who you were. That's my prayer for you and me today. Let's pray. The gift is not like the trespass. Father, we like to say, oh, if, if we were in the place of Adam, we wouldn't have fallen. But that's not true. The reality is we bore the mark well. But you have come, Jesus Christ, and you've given us a new life, a new line, a new hero, a new champion, that we might be descended from you spiritually, that we might move from one track to the other, Pray for anyone in this room who has not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, that they would choose to live under his authority and his grace and experience the peace that comes with knowing 
that I am in Christ. I pray that us as sons and daughters of you who believe in you would take our place under your Lordship and that we would live in the security and power and inheritance and the fact that we are in you and you are in us. There are only two lines and we have passed from death to life. How can we not be immortal if we are tied to you? We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.